Hello everyone. God bless you. I'd like to share today with you the Bible account of Jonathan and David. The Bible account of Jonathan and David, it is a true story, a story about friendship and about love. For decades, false religions have perverted the relationship between Jonathan and David. They claim that the Jonathan's and David's love for one another was homosexual. This evil world just can't see how two people can love one another without it being sexual. To this world, the thoughts of this world says for two people to love one another, it has to mean sex. But that isn't what the Bible says. That is not what God says. The world turns love into sex. But love, love is not sex. The world says making love. When they say somebody, people are making love, they're saying those people are having sex. So if somebody it, it, it's just watches a movie, they'll say, oh, 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 they're making love when they see people on screen having sex. They'll say, oh, that's love making. Having sex is not love. Well, Moran can figure that out. For thousands of years, from thousands of years ago to today, to modern times, people have decided to meet. People will go out just to seek out a sexual partner. Today, that is typically at a, at a party thrown for, for that purpose or to go to a bar or many other social gatherings where the goal at the end of the night for the men and the women attending those activities is to find a sexual partner. Many times and most of the times they're seeking somebody they've never met to have sex with. I mean, people in general don't value their own bodies. They don't value sex. They will pick up pretty much anyone they're attracted to to have sex with. And many times they will never see that person again. It's called a one night stand. So how how is this love? It is not love, okay? It isn't love. A person who just meets somebody and has sex with them, they're not in love with that person. It's absurd. Like I said a minute ago, a moron can figure that out. It is an obvious lie that the act of having sex is love. I mean, people know that. People separate the act of sex from love. It'll be a common thread. Well, I won't have sex with you, the person will say, if you're going to fall in love with me because I am not in to a, a relationship. I don't want somebody following me around. And they'll say, you know, we're, if we're going to have sex, it can't mean anything. Don't be attached to me. People 
want sex without attachment, sex without love. I was in the Navy for more than 20 years. And in that time, I knew many, many, many men and women who would have multiple sex partners. They'd have sex all the time. And many of these people would be married. They would take the opportunity of being separated from their, their spouse or, or even boyfriend and girlfriend, boyfriend or girlfriend, to have sex with somebody else. And many, many times these people, many times people, single individuals that I've known, have had a lot of sexual partners on the side, but they would, because they knew I, I, I went to church, because I invite people to church, and then they would, they would go, well, you know, well, tell me about your church. Is there a lot of single women? I'd be like, listen, you know, I'm not going to invite you to my church. So you can pray on the women or in the case of, you know, a female soldier or the men in my church, that the people of my church aren't there for you to pray on. Because these people and many people, they go to church, many non-safe people go to church because they want to find a person to have a relationship with that isn't having sex, meaning they they themselves will be a hypocrite and have all these multiple sex partners, but they want somebody uh, to have a relationship, somebody that they might consider marrying that is a churchgoer because they feel that these churchgoers aren't going to be someone that's running around having sex with a lot of people or having sex at all because they don't want to be in a relationship with somebody that's having sex with somebody else. They want to be in a relationship with a person that is faithful to them, to a person that hasn't had other sex partners, or at minimum, not many sex partners. The hypocrisy of that. So to turn around and say that sex is love is just a lie, and it's a lie that people know is a lie. People know that love isn't sex. But they'll twist it to say that to promote homosexuality. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. See, the Bible clearly says that God has revealed himself to everybody, to all mankind, and that we sin, that all of our sins that we do, we know our sins. We sin willfully, and we have no excuse. We have no excuse for our sin. People will claim that they don't understand something is a sin, but that's a lie. People were born with a conscience. 
the conscience in everybody. Dick tells us what's wrong, what's right before we do things. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. See, God, people that are lusting after a homosexual relationship, men with men, women with women, God give them up to that, that sin because they're rejecting what is right. They're rejecting the Bible. They're rejecting what God tells us. They're rejecting what their own nature tells them. People, men know that it's unnatural to have sexual relations with another man. Women know that it is unnatural to have sexual relations with another woman. So when people reject God, God will turn them over to their sin. Or for God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who change the truth of God into a lie and, and that's what's happening today people pervert God's word and turn it into a lie meaning that God will say it is white and they'll say no God says it's black just like uh, with homosexuality they'll say that uh, God made me this way and that's a lie that's a clear lie so they turn the truth of God into a lie. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So they're, so people worship themselves. They worship humanity. They reject God. People are rejecting God. They're worshiping, worshiping themselves. They're worshiping man, kind, and rejecting God. They're turning, they're, they're turning from God. They reject God and worship man. That is what's happening. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Homosexuality is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. It isn't love. It is lust. There's a huge difference between love and lust. Lust is to fulfill sensual, physical desires. I have to have it. I need it. I have to have it. That is the opposite of love. 
They burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So it's just not a sin to be homosexual. It's a sin to have pleasure in it. And, and not only the homosexuality, if you enjoy sinful behavior, sinful acts of other people, whether you're doing it or not, it's a sin. Because I mean that there's a lot, a lot of people, a lot of, of of people who go to church, who may or may not be saved, but there are a lot of Christians who will have a lot of friends with the world, you know, and they will go along with these people to events, to bars, and they'll justify it by saying, "Well, I'm not participating in what they're doing." But they're enjoying what they're doing. So that is a sin. If you take pleasure in the sin of others, the Bible says that you're sinning. You're enjoying the sin of others. Because as a Christian, you should be a light in this world. The Bible says evil communication corrupts good manners. A Christian needs to warn the world about this sin. To warn the world to not sin. Okay? Because if you're around all this sin and all this iniquity, you're not serving God. You're not doing God's will. And you're, because of your Christian stand, you're making these people think it's okay, the sin that they're committing. That, that's fine, you know. You know, he's fine with it. She's fine with it. They don't want to do it themselves. But they obviously don't object to what I'm doing because they're here. Homosexuality is a sin. Everyone knows that, that homosexuality is a sin. People who are homosexual know, they know it's wrong. They know it's a sin. They know it's against nature. They know that God, that God's word condemns homosexuality and says it's a sin. The simple fact that there are gay pride parades, there are gay pride days or gay pride weeks, 
the fact that homosexuals have to push homosexuality. I mean, is there a, uh, a straight day? Is there praise for, for people who have normal sex? No, there isn't. Because people know that is normal. When people have to push their sexuality on the world and on each other, that's because they're seeking acceptance, because they know it is wrong. They know their behavior is wrong. That's why they pervert the Bible as well, because to justify their sin, they need to say, well, let's look at the Bible. Let's look at Jonathan and David in the Bible. Well, obviously they're homosexual. The Bible says that Jonathan loved David, that David loved Jonathan. Oh, oh my gosh, that's proof of homosexuality. Do you need any more proof? They pervert God's word. First Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Matthew chapter 22 verses 35 through 40. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. And this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. This is the love Jonathan and David had for each other. Their souls were as one. This is the love Jesus spoke of in Matthew chapter 22, verse 39. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. This is the kind of love Christians are to have one to another. Jesus tells us, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and to love thy neighbor as thyself. Jonathan clearly obeyed God. He loved God, and he did love his neighbor as himself. It's obvious from the Bible. Jonathan saw how God was with David. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 22 through 58. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion of the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killed him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake, to the man that stood by him, saying, 
what shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So it shall be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? What have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them, they rehearsed them before Saul. And he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with, the, with, with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put in a helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a script. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was a, but a youth, and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog, that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me. And I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, 
the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee, and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that, the, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass, when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead. And he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and with the stone. And smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And, the, and when the Philistine saw and when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and of Judah rose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until thou came to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way to Sherem, even unto Gath and unto Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from the chase after the Philistines, and they spoiled their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Ab Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As I so liveth, O king, I cannot tell. And the king said, Inquire thou whose son this stripling is. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son art thou? Whose son art thou, young man? And David answered, I am the son of thy servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Jonathan witnessed how God was using David. He saw many of David's great exploits. He realized that David was someone who had something special. He knew David was God's anointed, chosen by God to be the king of Israel. This was high treason. Jonathan knew David was God's anointed. Jonathan knew that David was anointed to be king of Israel. So that was treason to, to the current king, Saul, his father. If David became king, then Jonathan, Saul's son, could never become king. Most people in Jonathan's position, most people would hate David. If someone, if someone out of nowhere was given a job promotion that you were supposed to get, would you befriend that person? No, I don't think you would. Really think about it. Would you befriend someone that took your promotion, 
a huge promotion. But Jonathan, that's what Jonathan did. Jonathan loved David despite the fact that David was going to take the kingship from his father, Saul, and that Jonathan would never become king if David became king. So uh, David, in essence, took, was taking Jonathan's kingship. Jonathan sacrificed his chance to become king because Jonathan lived to please God. Jonathan obeyed God, and Jonathan knew God's will was for David to be king. Jonathan lived his life focused on God and not on himself. Jonathan wanted to please God rather than have earth rewards. He wanted to please God. And that is the polar opposite of the vast majority of people today. The vast majority of people today don't care about pleasing God. They don't put God first. They put themselves first. It's me, 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 me. Today is the me, me generation. People are consumed with self. They're consumed with how, how can I become famous? People want to become famous on YouTube. They want to be the next Justin Bieber. They want to be a YouTube star. They want to be popular on social media. They want to have as many friends as possible on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on, on any of a number in every social media site. Sadly, nearly every day someone dies taking a selfie of themselves. People fall off buildings, fall off mountains, get run over by cars in traffic, taking selfies. People are so consumed with taking selfies to get this great picture to put on, put online, to post on social media to promote themselves. Jonathan's priority in his life was to please God. Jonathan wasn't an I, 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 me, 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 me person. If we could be like Jonathan and live our lives to the glory and honor of God, that would be amazing. We should be like Jonathan. We should seek to serve God and not promote ourselves. We should seek God's glory and not our own glory. In the Bible, Jonathan is written of as a great man. If you, if I, if we put God first, God will bless us in this life and in the next. First Samuel chapter 13, verse 3. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it, and saw, blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. In Jonathan's life, he was given great praise and great honor. The people of Israel knew of Jonathan's greatness. He knew that Jonathan, they, the people of Israel knew that Jonathan was to be a future king the future king of Israel. Usually when people achieve that kind of notoriety and popularity and success, usually those people, their heads explode. They become very self-absorbed. But that isn't what Jonathan did. Jonathan, Jonathan never became big-headed. 1 Samuel chapter 14, 
Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison, and is on the other side. But he told not his father. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah, under a pomegranate tree, which is in Magron. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. And Ahad, the son of Achabtab, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phineas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest, and Shiloh, were in Ephod. And the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. And between the passages, and between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over unto the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Boses, and the name of the other, Senech. The forefront of the one was situate northward over against Michmash, and the other southward against Gibah. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over under the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. So Jonathan, he has faith in God, and he leaves to go against the Philistine garrison without telling his father, without making a big deal about it. He just goes because he has faith in God, that God can save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Wow. The Bible says, "Good if you if you are with other Christians, if you are with other good people, you will become stronger in the Lord." So, J uh, Jonathan's armor bearer saw was with David every day, all the time, and he saw how good Jonathan was, and so the goodness of Jonathan. And the love that Jonathan had for God rubbed off on his armor bearer. His faith was mirroring Jonathan's. He believed in God because he saw how God blessed Jonathan. Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. If they say thus unto us, Terry, until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and will not go up unto them. But if they say thus, come up unto us, then we will go up, for the Lord hath delivered them into our hand, and this shall be a sign unto us. And both of them discovered themselves unto the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes, where they have hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan in his armor bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will shew you a thing. <laughs> and Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet, and his armor bearer after him. And they fell 
before Jonathan and his armor bearer slew after him. And that first slaughter, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, was about 20 men. Within, as it were, and a half acre of land, which a yoke of oxen might plow. And there was trembling in the house, in the field, and among all the people, the garrison, and the spoilers. They also trembled, and the earthquake. So it was a very great trembling. Wow. Man, wow, Jonathan and his armor bearer, they were brave. They trusted in God. They put their trust in God. Jonathan and his armor bearer, they believed God. They trusted God with their lives. This pass that passage is about faith in action. When is the last time you put your faith to the test? When did you do something by faith for God? Have you ever trusted God? Have you have you ever witnessed? Have you ever told somebody about Jesus? Have you ever shared God's word with someone? Trust me, it takes faith to step takes a step of faith to witness to other people, to, to give somebody a gospel track, to share God's word. If you do that, that is faith, putting your faith in action. You have faith that God will use you to share the gospel, that God will work through you. Trust me, it takes faith to witness for Jesus. Jonathan developed such a respect for David in that first encounter that from that day forward, Jonathan counted David as his greatest friend. Jonathan put David's interest first always. 1 Samuel chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. And Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they, would, that they should kill David. And Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning and abide in a secret place and hide thyself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where thou art. And I will commune with my father of thee. And what I see that I will tell thee. And Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father and said unto him, let not the king sin against his servant against David, because he hath not sinned against thee. And because his works have been to thee word very good. For he put his life in his hand and slew all the Philistines. And the Lord wrought a great salvation for all Israel. Thou sawest it and didst rejoice. Wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood? to slay David without a cause? And Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swear, as the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan shewed him all those things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence, and he was in his presence as in times past. What an amazing man Jonathan was. David would have died if Jonathan would have rejected God's will. David's life was in Jonathan's hands. Jonathan 
beseech his father for David. I mean, most people don't befriend the person that's going to take their place. And if they don't do anything evil toward them, they certainly don't fight against other people doing evil to that person. Jonathan was very, very, very selfless. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, it is Jonathan who suggests a covenant of undying friendship between David and himself. You have to admire Jonathan as you read through this account. He, Jonathan's the one going to lose out if David becomes king, yet he never shows any hint of jealousy or resentment. In fact, he comes across, Jonathan comes across as a totally godly man, just like David, in fact. Jonathan was willing to give up his rights for the one that God had chosen and gifted the kingdom, the kingship. Jonathan, Jonathan is like John the Baptist. When John the Baptist was told how Jesus, how Jesus had started baptizing and everyone was going to him instead of going to be baptized by John the Baptist and his disciples, John the Baptist he likened himself to the best man whose job is to stand with the bridegroom, rejoicing at his good fortune in marrying the bride. John the Baptist summed his position up in this simple sentence. He must increase, but I must decrease. That's in John chapter 3, verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. So too, Jonathan is prepared to give up his rights for the sake of the one and only God. Jonathan wanted to do God's will, so he allowed himself to decrease, to decrease, to decrease, so that David would increase. As a result, a great friendship developed between Jonathan and David. In that friendship, Jonathan and David's friendship it transcended any personal ambition, any personal ambition or any family circumstance. Jonathan may be the king's son and David the usurper, but Jonathan can see the spirit of God at work in David. He is more interested in God's will than in his own personal ambition. Jonathan knows that David will be king. He says as much in their final encounter in 1 Samuel chapter 23. There's, there's a sense of equality and mutual, mutuality in Jonathan and David's relationship. Both young men, they fought side by side for Israel against Israel's enemies. But in another sense, their relationship is a one of inequality because David is the anointed king, the one chosen by God to be king of Israel, to lead Israel in the place of Saul. He's the one filled with the Holy Spirit for leadership, who stands head and shoulders spiritually above his peers. And Jonathan sees that, and he embraces it. In fact, he seals the covenant between them with a blessing on David. He sealed the blessing in the, that he asked God that God would seek out 
David's enemies and destroy them. And ironically, Saul was one of David's enemies. David and Jonathan are often prated by the gay movement as a prime example of homosexual lovers. So Jonathan and David are slandered by the homosexual movement, by supporters of homosexuality. They use David, the example of David and Jonathan in the Bible as homosexuals because they can't understand how two men can love each other without there being any sexual component to it. The truth is there's nothing in the Bible to, su to suggest that Jonathan and David were homosexuals. They're kindred spirits, equally impulsive, equally brave, equally convinced that God was behind Israel. Both were leaders of men. And their close friendship brought to, were brought together by mutual commitment to loyalty and friendship. I think we've come to a sorry state in society if we think that the only way two men or two women could love each other would be a sexual way. I mean, it's sad that in society that if two men love each other and two women love each other, or men and women love each if, other, if people love each other, that means it's sex. That's just contrary to the word of God. To suggest that people who love each other are in a sexual relationship. I mean, if you really put that to the to the twisted convention, parents love their children. The God, the, the Bible doesn't promote incest or talk about incest. To suggest that all love is sexual is perverted. But the, the, that is a sickness of the world because do not you would have to be blind not to see how the world is pushing incest and pedophilia so to the world all love is equal and everyone is to be loved and so they're saying uh, mothers should have sex with their children fathers should have sex with their children people should have sex with children because that's love that's the twisted nature of society. With David and Jonathan, their story ends, the way their story ends shows how far from the truth the, the world is by calling them homosexuals. That's far from the truth. Their friendship is sealed by the covenant they made in chapter 20. Yet this is the last time they spend any time together. But that doesn't mean their friendship is over. David holds their friendship in such high esteem that after Jonathan was killed, he seeks out Jonathan's son so he could take care of his son. Jonathan's relationship and love for David was not homosexual. There was no homosexual component to it. There was pure love. And, and David loved Jonathan even past the point of, of his death. And he showed that love by taking care of Jonathan's son. Jonathan and David's friendship is a friendship and love that we should seek to emulate. They both put God first. 
and they trusted in God. I want to thank you for your time. God bless you. Thank you.